0: Chapter 6 of The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America 1638 to 1870 volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America 1638 to 1870 by W E B Du Bois THE FEDERAL CONVENTION, 1787 32. THE FIRST PROPOSITION 33. THE GENERAL DEBATE 34. THE SPECIAL COMMITTEE AND THE BARGAIN 35. THE APPEAL TO THE CONVENTION 36. SETTLEMENT BY THE CONVENTION 37. RECEPTION OF THE clause BY THE NATION 38. ATTITUDE OF THE STATE CONVENTIONS 39. ACCEPTANCE OF THE POLICY thirty two the first proposition slavery occupied no prominent place in the convention called to remedy the glaring defects of the confederation for the obvious reason that few of the delegates thought it expedient to touch a delicate subject which if let alone made fair to settle itself in a matter satisfactory to all consequently neither slavery nor the slave trade is specifically mentioned in the delegates credentials of any of the states nor in randolph's pinckney's or hamilton's plans nor in patterson's propositions indeed the debate from may fourteenth to june nineteenth when the committee of the whole reported touched the subject only in the matter of the ratio of representation of slaves with this same exception the report of the committee of the whole contained no reference to slavery or the slave trade and the twenty-three resolutions of the convention referred to the Committee of Detail, July 23rd and 26th, maintained the same silence. The latter committee, consisting of Rutledge, Randolph, Gorham, Ellsworth, and Wilson, reported a draft of the Constitution, August 6th, 1787. The committee had, in its deliberations, probably made use of a draft of a national constitution made by Edmund Randolph one clause of this provided that no state shall lay a duty on imports and also one no duty on exports two no prohibition on such inhabitants as the united states think proper to admit three no duties by way of such prohibition it does not appear that any reference to negroes was here intended in the extant copy however notes in edward rutledge's handwriting change the second clause to no prohibition on such inhabitants or people as the several states think proper to admit in the report august sixth these clauses take the following form article seven section four no tax or duty shall be laid by the legislature on articles exported from any state nor on the migration or importation of such persons as the several states shall think proper to admit nor shall such migration or importation be prohibited thirty three the general debate this of course referred both to immigrants migration and to slaves importation debate on this section began tuesday august twenty second and lasted two days luther martin of maryland precipitated the discussion by a proposition to alter the section so as to allow a prohibition or tax on the importation of slaves the debate immediately became general being carried on principally by rutledge the pinckneys and williamson from the carolinas baldwin of georgia mason madison and randolph of virginia wilson and governor morris of pennsylvania dickinson of delaware and ellsworth sherman jerry king and langdon of new england in this debate the moral arguments were prominent colonel george mason of virginia denounced the traffic in slaves as infernal luther martin of maryland regarded it as inconsistent with the principles of the revolution and dishonorable to the american character every principle of honor and safety declared john dickinson of delaware demands the exclusion of slaves indeed mason solemnly averred that the crime of slavery might yet bring the judgment of god on the nation on the other side rutledge of south carolina bluntly declared that religion and humanity had nothing to do with the question that it was a matter of interest alone jerry of massachusetts wished merely to refrain from giving direct sanction to the trade while others contented themselves with pointing out the inconsistency of condemning the slave trade and defending slavery the difficulty of the whole argument from the moral standpoint lay in the fact that it was completely checkmated by the obstinate attitude of south carolina and georgia their delegates baldwin the pinckneys rutledge and others asserted flatly not less than a half dozen times during the debate that these states can never receive the plan if it prohibits the slave trade that if the convention thought that these states would consent to a stoppage of the slave trade the expectation is vain by this stand all argument from the moral standpoint was virtually silenced for the convention evidently agreed with roger sherman of connecticut that it was better to let the southern states import slaves than to part with those states in such a dilemma the convention listened not unwillingly to the non possumous arguments of the states rights advocates the morality and wisdom of slavery declared ellsworth of connecticut are considerations belonging to the states themselves let every state import what it pleases the confederation has not meddled with the question why should the union it is a dangerous symptom of centralization cried baldwin of georgia the central states wish to be the vortex for everything even matters of a local nature The national government, said Jerry of Massachusetts, had nothing to do with slavery in the states. It had only to refrain from giving direct sanction to the system. Others opposed this whole argument, declaring, with Langdon of New Hampshire, that Congress ought to have this power, since, as Dickinson tartly remarked, the true question was whether the national happiness would be promoted or impeded by the importation and this question ought to be left to the national government not to the states particularly interested besides these arguments as to the right of the trade and the proper seat of authority over it many arguments of general expediency were introduced from an economic standpoint for instance general c c pinckney of south carolina contended that the importation of slaves would be for the interest of the whole union the more slaves the more produce rutledge of the same state declared if the northern states consult their interest they will not oppose the increase of slaves which will increase the commodities of which they will become the carriers this sentiment found a more or less conscious echo in the words of ellsworth of connecticut what enriches a part enriches the whole it was moreover broadly hinted that the zeal of maryland and virginia against the trade had an economic rather than a humanitarian motive since they had slaves enough and to spare and wished to sell them at a high price to south carolina and georgia who needed more in such case restrictions would unjustly discriminate against the latter states the argument from history was barely touched upon only once was there an allusion to the example of the world in all ages to justify slavery and once came the counter declaration that greece and rome were made unhappy by their slaves on the other hand the military weakness of slavery in the late war led to many arguments on that score luther martin and george mason dwelt on the danger of a servile class in war and insurrection while rutledge hotly replied that he would readily exempt the other states from the obligation to protect the southern against them and ellsworth thought that the very danger would become a motive to kind treatment the desirability of keeping slavery out of the west was once mentioned as an argument against the trade to this all seemed tacitly to agree throughout the debate it is manifest that the convention had no desire really to enter upon a general slavery argument the broader and more theoretic aspects of the question were but lightly touched upon here and there undoubtedly most of the members would have much preferred not to raise the question at all but as it was raised the differences of opinion were too manifest to be ignored and the convention after its first perplexity gradually and perhaps too willingly set itself to work to find some middle ground on which all parties could stand the way to this compromise was pointed out by the south the most radical pro-slavery arguments always ended with the opinion that if the southern states were let alone they will probably of themselves stop importations to be sure general pinckney admitted that candidly he did not think south carolina would stop her importations of slaves in any short time nevertheless the convention observed with roger sherman that the abolition of slavery seemed to be going on in the united states and that the good sense of the several states would probably by degrees complete it economic forces were evoked to eke out moral motives when the south had its full quota of slaves like virginia it too would abolish the trade free labor was bound finally to drive out slave labor thus the chorus of laissez-faire increased and compromise seemed at least in sight when connecticut cried let the trade alone and georgia denounced it as an evil some few discordant notes were heard as for instance when wilson of pennsylvania made the uncomforting remark if south carolina and georgia were themselves disposed to get rid of the importation of slaves in a short time as had been suggested they would never refuse to unite because the importation might be prohibited with a spirit of compromise in the air it was not long before the general terms were clear the slavery side was strongly entrenched and had a clear and definite demand the forces of freedom were on the contrary divided by important conflicts of interest and animated by no very strong and decided anti-slavery spirit with settled aims under the circumstances it was easy for the convention to miss the opportunity for a really great compromise and to descend to a scheme that savored unpleasantly of log-rolling. The student of the situation will always have good cause to believe that a more sturdy and definite anti-slavery stand at this point might have changed history for the better. 34. The Special Committee and the Bargain since the debate had in the first place arisen from a proposition to tax the importation of slaves the yielding of this point by the south was the first move toward compromise to all but the doctrinaires who shrank from taxing men as property the argument that the failure to tax slaves was equivalent to a bounty was conclusive with this point settled randolph voiced the general sentiment when he declared that he was for committing in order that some middle ground might if possible be found finally governor morris discovered the middle ground in his suggestion that the whole subject be committed including the clauses relating to taxes on exports and to a navigation act these things said he may form a bargain among the northern and southern states this was quickly assented to and sections four and five on slave trade and capitation tax were committed by a vote of seven to three and section six on navigation acts by a vote of nine to two all three clauses were referred to the following committee langdon of new hampshire king of massachusetts johnson of connecticut livingston of new jersey Clymer of pennsylvania dickinson of delaware martin of maryland madison of virginia williamson of north carolina general pinckney of south carolina and baldwin of georgia the fullest account of the proceedings of this committee is given in luther martin's letter to his constituents and is confirmed in its main particulars by similar reports of other delegates martin writes a committee of one member from each state was chosen by ballot to take this part of the system under their consideration, and to endeavor to agree upon some report which should reconcile those states, i.e. South Carolina and Georgia. To this committee also was referred the following proposition, which had been reported by the Committee of Detail, viz. No Navigation Act shall be passed without the assent of two-thirds of the members present in each House a proposition which the staple and commercial states were solicitous to retain lest their commerce should be placed too much under the power of the eastern states but which these last states were as anxious to reject this committee of which also i had the honor to be a member met and took under their consideration the subjects committed to them i found the eastern states notwithstanding their aversion to slavery were very willing to indulge the southern states at least with a temporary liberty to prosecute the slave trade provided the southern states would in their turn gratify them by laying no restriction on navigation acts and after a very little time the committee by a great majority agreed on a report by which the general government was to be prohibited from preventing the importation of slaves for a limited time and the restrictive clause relative to navigation acts was to be omitted that the bargain was soon made is proven by the fact that the committee reported by the very next day friday august twenty fourth and that on saturday the report was taken up it was as follows strike out so much of the fourth section as was referred to the committees and insert the migration or importation of such persons as the several states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the legislature prior to the year eighteen hundred but a tax or duty may be imposed on any such migration or importation at a rate not exceeding the average of the duties laid on imports the fifth section to remain is in the report the sixth section to be stricken out thirty five the appeal to the convention the ensuing debate which lasted only a part of the day was evidently a sort of appeal to the house on the decisions of the committee it throws light on the points of disagreement general pinckney first proposed to extend the slave trading limit to eighteen o eight and gorham of massachusetts seconded the motion this brought a spirited protest from madison twenty years will produce all the mischief that can be apprehended from the liberty to import slaves so long a term will be more dishonorable to the american character than to say nothing about it in the constitution there was however evidently another bargain here for without farther debate the south and east voted the extension seven to four only new jersey pennsylvania delaware and virginia objecting the ambiguous phraseology of the whole slave trade section as reported did not pass without comment governor morris would have it read the importation of slaves into north carolina south carolina and georgia shall not be prohibited etc this emendation was however too painfully truthful for the doctrinaires and was amid a score of objections withdrawn the taxation clause also was manifestly too vague for practical use and baldwin of georgia wished to amend it by inserting common impost on articles not enumerated in lieu of the average duty this minor point gave rise to considerable argument sherman and madison deprecated any such recognition of property in man as taxing would imply mason and gorham argued that the tax restrained the trade while king langdon and general pinckney contented themselves with the remark that this clause was the price of the first part finally it was unanimously agreed to make the duty not exceeding ten dollars for each person southern interests now being safe some southern members attempted a few days later to annul the bargain by restoring the requirements of a two-thirds vote in navigation acts charles pinckney made the motion in an elaborate speech designed to show the conflicting commercial interests of the states he declared that the power of regulating commerce was a pure concession on the part of the southern states martin and williamson of north carolina butler of south carolina and mason of virginia defended the proposition insisting that it would be a dangerous concession on the part of the south to leave navigation acts to a mere majority vote sherman of connecticut morris of pennsylvania and spate of north carolina declared that the very diversity of interest was a security finally by a vote of seven to four maryland virginia north carolina and georgia being in the minority the convention refused to consider the motion and the recommendation of the committee passed when on september tenth the convention was discussing the amendment clause of the constitution the ever alert rutledge perceiving that the results of the laboriously settled bargain might be endangered declared that he never could agree to give a power by which the articles relating to slaves might be altered by the states not interested in that property as a result the clause finally adopted september fifteenth had the proviso provided that no amendment which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article thirty six settlement by the convention thus the slave trade article of the constitution stood finally as follows article one section nine The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding ten dollars for each person. This settlement of the slavery question brought out distinct differences of moral attitude toward the institution, and yet differences far from hopeless to be sure the south apologized for slavery the middle states denounced it and the east could only tolerate it from afar and yet all three sections united in considering it a temporary institution the cornerstone of which was the slave trade no one of them had ever seen a system of slavery without an active slave trade and there were probably few members of the convention who did not believe that the foundations of slavery had been sapped merely by putting the abolition of the slave trade in the hands of congress twenty years hence here lay the danger for when the north called slavery temporary she thought of twenty or thirty years while the temporary period of the south was scarcely less than a century meantime for at least a score of years a policy of strict laissez-faire so far as the general government was concerned was to intervene instead of calling the whole moral energy of the people into action so as gradually to crush this portentous evil the federal convention lulled the nation to sleep by a bargain and left to the vacillating and unripe judgment of the states one of the most threatening of the social and political ills which they were so courageously seeking to remedy thirty seven reception of the clause by the nation when the proposed constitution was before the country the slave trade article came in for no small amount of condemnation and apology in the pamphlets of the day it was much discussed one of the points in mason's letter of objections was that the general legislature is restrained from prohibiting the further importation of slaves for twenty odd years though such importations render the united states weaker more vulnerable and less capable of defense to this Iredell replied through the columns of the state gazette of north carolina if all the states had been willing to adopt this regulation i e to prohibit the slave trade i should as an individual most heartily have approved of it because even if the importation of slaves in fact rendered us stronger less vulnerable and more capable of defence i should rejoice in the prohibition of it as putting an end to a trade which has already continued too long for the honor and humanity of those concerned in it but as it was well known that south carolina and georgia thought a further continuance of such importations useful to them and would not perhaps otherwise have agreed to the new constitution those states which had been importing till they were satisfied could not with decency have insisted upon their relinquishing advantages themselves had already enjoyed our situation makes it necessary to bear the evil as it is It will be left to the future legislatures to allow such importations or not if any in violation of their clear conviction of the injustice of this trade persist in pursuing it this is a matter between god and their own consciences the interests of humanity will however have gained something by the prohibition of this inhuman trade though at a distance of twenty odd years sentinel representing the quaker sentiment of pennsylvania attacked the clause in his third letter published in the independent gazetteer or the chronicle of freedom november eighth seventeen eighty seven we are told that the objects of this article are slaves and that it is inserted to secure to the southern states the right of introducing negroes for twenty-one years to come against the declared sense of the other states to put an end to an odious traffic in the human species which is especially scandalous and inconsistent in a people who have asserted their own liberty by the sword and which dangerously enfeebles the districts wherein the laborers are bondsmen the words dark and ambiguous such as no plain man of common sense would have used are evidently chosen to conceal from europe that in this enlightened country the practice of slavery has its advocates among men in the highest stations when it is recollected that no poll tax can be imposed on five negroes above what three whites shall be charged when it is considered that the imposts on the consumption of carolina field negroes must be trifling and the excise nothing it is plain that the proportion of contributions which can be expected from the southern states under the new constitution will be unequal and yet they are to be allowed to enfeeble themselves by the further importation of negroes till the year eighteen o eight has not the concurrence of the five southern states in the convention to the new system been purchased too dearly by the rest noah webster's examination seventeen eighty seven addressed itself to such quaker scruples but say the enemies of slavery negroes may be imported for twenty-one years this exception is addressed to the quakers and a very pitiful exception it is the truth is congress cannot prohibit the importation of slaves during that period but the laws against the importation into particular states stand unrepealed an immediate abolition of slavery would bring ruin upon the whites and misery upon the blacks in the southern states the constitution has therefore wisely left each state to pursue its own measures with respect to this article of legislation during the period of twenty-one years the following year the examination of tench cox said the temporary reservation of any particular matter must be deemed an admission that it should be done away this appears to have been well understood in addition to the arguments drawn from liberty justice and religion opinions against this practice i e of slave trading founded in sound policy have no doubt been urged regard was necessarily paid to the peculiar situation of our southern fellow-citizens but they on the other hand have not been insensible of the delicate situation of our national character on this subject from quite different motives southern men defended this section for instance dr david ramsey a south carolina member of the convention wrote in his address it is farther objected that they have stipulated for a right to prohibit the importation of negroes after twenty-one years on this subject observe as they are bound to protect us from domestic violence they think we ought not to increase our exposure to that evil by an unlimited importation of slaves though congress may forbid the importation of negroes after twenty-one years it does not follow that they will on the other hand it is probable that they will not the more rice we make the more business will be for their shipping their interest will therefore coincide with ours besides we have other sources of supply the importation of the ensuing twenty years added to the natural increase of those we already have and the influx from our northern neighbors who are desirous of getting rid of their slaves will afford a sufficient number for cultivating all the lands in this state finally the federalist number forty one written by james madison commented as follows it were doubtless to be wished that the power of prohibiting the importation of slaves had not been postponed until the year eighteen o eight or rather that it had been suffered to have immediate operation but it is not difficult to account either for this restriction on the general government or for the manner in which the whole clause is expressed it ought to be considered as a great point gained in favor of humanity that a period of twenty years may terminate forever within these states a traffic which has so long and so loudly upbraided the barbarism of modern policy that within that period it will receive a considerable discouragement from the federal government and may be totally abolished by a concurrence of the few states which continue the unnatural traffic in the prohibitory example which has been given by so great a majority of the union happy would it be for the unfortunate africans if an equal prospect lay before them of being redeemed from the oppressions of their european brethren attempts have been made to pervert this clause into an objection against the constitution by representing it on one side as a criminal toleration of an illicit practice and on another as calculated to prevent voluntary and beneficial emigrations from europe to america i mention these misconstructions not with a view to give them an answer for they deserve none but as specimens of the manner and spirit in which some have thought fit to conduct their opposition to the proposed government thirty eight attitude of the state conventions the records of the proceedings in the various state conventions are exceedingly meagre in nearly all of the few states where records exist there is found some opposition to the slave trade clause the opposition was seldom very pronounced or bitter it rather took the form of regret on the one hand that the convention went so far and on the other hand that it did not go farther probably however the constitution was never in danger of rejection on account of this clause extracts from a few of the speeches pro and con in various states will best illustrate the character of the arguments in reply to some objections expressed in the pennsylvania convention wilson said december third seventeen eighty seven i consider this as laying the foundation for banishing slavery out of this country and though the period is more distant than i could wish yet it will produce the same kind gradual change which was pursued in pennsylvania robert barnwell declared in the south carolina convention january seventeenth seventeen eighty eight that this clause particularly pleased him congress he said has guaranteed this right for that space of time and at its expiration may continue it as long as they please this question then arises what will their interest lead them to do the eastern states as the honorable gentleman says will become the carriers of america it will therefore certainly be their interest to encourage exportation to as great an extent as possible and if the quantum of our products will be diminished by the prohibition of negroes i appeal to the belief of every man whether he thinks those very carriers will themselves dam up the sources from whence their profit is derived to think so is so contradictory to the general conduct of mankind that i am of the opinion that without we ourselves put a stop to them the traffic for negroes will continue forever In Massachusetts, January thirtieth seventeen eighty eight, General Heath said, The gentlemen who have spoken have carried the matter rather too far on both sides. I apprehend that it is not in our power to do anything for or against those who are in slavery in the southern states. Two questions naturally arise if we ratify the Constitution. Shall we do anything by our act to hold the blacks in slavery? or shall we become partakers of other men's sins i think neither of them each state is sovereign and independent to a certain degree and they have a right and will regulate their own internal affairs as to themselves appears proper iredale said in the north carolina convention july twenty sixth seventeen eighty eight when the entire abolition of slavery takes place it will be an event which must be pleasing to every generous mind and every friend of human nature but as it is this government is nobly distinguished above others by that very provision of the arguments against the clause two made in the massachusetts convention are typical the rev mr neal said january twenty fifth seventeen eighty eight that unless his objection to this clause was removed he could not put his hand to the constitution general thompson exclaimed shall it be said that after we have established our own independence and freedom we make slaves of others mason in the virginia convention june fifteenth seventeen eighty eight said as much as i value a union of all the states i would not admit the southern states into the union unless they agree to the discontinuance of this disgraceful trade yet they have not secured us the property of the slaves we have already so that they have done what they ought not to have done and have left undone what they ought to have done joshua atherton who led the opposition in the new hampshire convention said the idea that strikes those who are opposed to this clause so disagreeably and so forcibly is hereby it is conceived if we ratify the constitution that we become consenters to and partakers in the sin and guilt of this abominable traffic at least for a certain period without any positive stipulation that it shall even then be brought to an end in the south carolina convention lowndes january sixteenth seventeen eighty eight attacked the slave trade clause negroes said he were our wealth our only natural resource yet behold how our kind friends in the north were determined soon to tie up our hands and drain us of what we had the eastern states drew their means of subsistence in a great measure from their shipping and on that head they had been particularly careful not to allow any of the burdens why then call this a reciprocal bargain which took all from one party to bestow it on the other in spite of this discussion in the different states only one state rhode island went so far as to propose an amendment directing congress to promote and establish such laws and regulations as may effectually prevent the importation of slaves of every description into the united states thirty nine acceptance of the policy as in the federal convention so in the state conventions it is noticeable that the compromise was accepted by the various states from widely different motives nevertheless these motives were not fixed and unchangeable and there was still discernible a certain underlying agreement in the dislike of slavery one cannot help thinking that if the devastation of the late war had not left an extraordinary demand for slaves in the south if for instance there had been in seventeen eighty seven the same plethora in the slave market as in seventeen seventy four the future history of the country would have been far different as it was the twenty-one years of laissez-faire were confirmed by the states and the nation entered upon the constitutional period with the slave trade legal in three states and with a feeling of quiescence toward it in the rest of the union End of chapter six.